Please support Unfound at Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. On this episode, I go over the discovery of a frozen woman. I detail how a video gamer got caught. I discuss recent UFO news. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including a big Hawaii trial. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound Live for January 15th, 2024. All right, let's do this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Unfound Live. For January 15th, 15th of 2024. I hope everybody's doing well out there. However, already looking in the uh, chat, even just as this show starts, I'm seeing everybody complaining about the weather in their area, in their areas. Um, uh, you know, be, be, uh, between Colorado, Missouri, and uh, elsewhere, it seems like uh, most of the uh, United States is in the, re- in the, not just in the refrigerator, but in the freezer. And whereas, as I posted on Facebook today, the rest of the country got snow and I had dolphins <laughs> swimming out in the Gulf today. It got up, I think, into the uh, low 70s today. There was actually a boat, like a like a a whale watching or dolphin watching boat somewhere, uh, something like that right out straight from where I live out in the Gulf. And they were following these dolphins around. So while all of you are looking for polar bears, I'm seeing dolphins and uh, sorry to rub that in before I get too far into this. uh, And I will mention this a few times tonight, please give this live show a thumbs up. I say it every week because I mean it. Just get it done right now, whatever kind of device you are using, whether you are watching on a laptop, desktop, maybe you're watching on your phone, maybe you have a smart TV, and in which case my head uh, must appear huge. Whatever it is, if you're watching on Facebook, do what you can over there. Write a nice review. Go to the Facebook page, the Unfound Facebook page, and write a nice review regarding the podcast, this live show, the YouTube channel, everything. Maybe you can uh, do something that way. But give it a thumbs up. Give it a nice review. If you are listening to this as a podcast, once again, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this podcast and just the audio form of this live show, that would be really cool if you gave uh, everything we do here a thumbs up, a five star, whatever it is. That would be cool as well. Some things that I have lined up tonight, uh, it was kind of easy to prepare for tonight's live show because I didn't get to a lot last week due to the breaking news regarding the Colonial Parkway murders that took up about 40 minutes of last week's show. So I still have uh, some items that I want to cover from last week that I didn't get to. Uh, And some of those items are, I want to talk about this big trial that's going to be happening In the state of Hawaii, Hawaii is a state where we still not covered an actual disappearance yet. Not for lack of trying, by the way. I want to talk about the trial of Michael Miske. This is one of those 
things where I think that if this were happening in the contiguously United States, the 48 states that are all connected to each other, it would be getting a lot more attention. And there are two disappearances connected to it. So I'll get into that. I want to talk about uh, this jellyfish UFO uh, that was sighted over there in Iraq a few times. I got some opinions on that. Uh, this is a story that I was supposed to cover last week. This the uh, story about this woman who was found in a uh, in the freezer. Speaking of cold, uh, in her house uh, that other people found. So I still need to talk about that. I want to talk about a sex trafficker or a child abuser that got caught through a video game system. And then I want to talk a little bit about trying to maybe put it in my own words. I know a lot of you uh, know that I take an interest in plane crashes and what's going on in aviation. Of course, we've had a couple weird things that have happened recently. Uh, Of course, this door flying off uh, one plane and then one plane landing on another in Japan in in which uh, some people got killed. I want to talk about both of those. And then maybe I'll get to this, uh, these disappearances that are connected to an internet profit, some profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, some sort of cult-like group. Uh, I will try to get to all of that before we are done over the next two hours. So let's see who is in here. And then I will uh, start in on all of this. Hello, nephew Charlie. What's going on? Uh, Karen, Carrie. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Carrie and some of the other assistants during tonight's show. Everything. Please assault that like button. Yeah, uh, assault it in a good way. Uh, Barbara, greetings from the frozen Midwest. I guess that's Midwest. Mark and Indy, frigid in Indiana. Minus 25 with the wind chill in, chill in Colorado. Lisa in Missouri, she's cold. Jasmine, Suzanne, Kathy, what's going on? Yeah, a happy Martin Luther King Day to everybody. Maybe some of you uh, did not have to go to work. Of course, the finance markets in the United States were closed today. I think maybe schools were also closed today. Hello, Patty3. What's going on? <laughs> Kathy, and it's me and you, Kathy. It's, it's us against the world, Kathy. You're having beautiful weather. We have nice weather here. It's a, us against everybody else tonight. Um, I've been listening since you've Facebook user has been listening to Unfound uh, Podcast since 5 a.m. today. Good luck to you, Facebook user. I don't know who you are. Uh, unfortunately, if you're on Facebook and watching or listening, it uh, doesn't give me your name. But, uh, well, thank you very much. Um, you're, you're catching up. I wonder how far you are behind. But that's fine if you're behind. you got a life to live. I get it. Hazel, good to see you. Hello, Hazel. Brian, uh, it's been a while, Brian. How are you? Good to see you. And Glenn, and yet high of zero today, Charlie. That's great. 56 in Southern California. Okay, it's me, Brian, and Kathy against the rest of you who are all freezing. And, of course, Hazel is in New Zealand. It's summer down there, so I don't know if if that counts. Okay. Just some things that have gone on with me since uh, we all got together last. I went to a fantastic car show on Saturday with my brother, Brian. This has become kind of a... A year, what's well, a yearly thing because it's over in Kissimmee yearly. 
Uh, it's always in early January. This is the Meek Mauction. Uh, maybe some of you know that uh, it can be watched live on, I think, the Motor Trend channel. If you get that channel, I happen to get that channel. So all last week, I, as I was working, I was watching the auction, and then I ended up being over there. Uh, Kissimmee is near Orlando. On Saturday, Brother Brian and I got there maybe at about a quarter till nine, and we were there for seven hours. Fantastic time. Uh, unfortunately, for the most part, he, neither he nor I could afford most of the cars that are going across the blocks. But on the other hand, they do have some cars that go across the blocks that are only ten and $15,000. But really, when you're going over there, you're looking at cars they're antiques or collectibles and they're like sixty, seventy thousand $70,000 up into the millions and millions of dollars. So we like to go over and he and I do share some of the similar, um, similar tastes, but being that he's like 20 years older than I am, our, our tastes do differ uh, a little bit as well. He's, Probably into like uh, the 1940s and 50s cars more than I'll ever be. He's also, I think, into trucks, like old trucks, antique trucks, and vans. I like the Volkswagen buses and things probably more than I am. Whereas for me, I think I take more of an interest in, you know, of course, cars from my era, like Buick Grand Nationals from, from 1986 or 87. Um, I take an interest in Ferraris from like the 1983 28 GTS as examples, but it's a fantastic time and it's, it's a good way to spend a day just walking around. Um, and it's one of those days where you're out there and we, we picked the perfect day to go. It wasn't hot. It was overcast. It didn't rain. It was like in the high sixties, perfect temperature, perfect conditions, probably the most perfect uh, weather we've ever had to go over there and uh, walk around for like uh, seven hours and just um, seeing all the cars and just wondering, you know, and you, you see some of these buyers, you know, I'm 53 now. A lot of these buyers are younger than I am and they're spending a hundred thousand, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 dollars uh, in some cases on some of these cars, especially if you're getting into like those collectible Dodges and Plymouths or some of the old Corvettes or whatever. And you start to wonder where did my life go wrong? Uh, that there, you know, these people are buying these high dollar cars and I'm driving around in a Hyundai Sonata. <laughs> it does, it does cross my mind. Uh, and, uh, as Brian and I often talk about, uh, if we ever hit Powerball or mega millions, you know, the jackpot or something, we have a list of cars, uh, that we would go to, uh, a Mecham auction and, uh, buy, but I wouldn't get really get too crazy with it. They're just particular cars that I like. And, and that would be it. They aren't even the like the highest, highest dollar cars either. Just particular cars, uh, that I like and really, they're two like different cars that vie for for number one. It's it's it would be either a nineteen sixty nine Ford Boss twenty nine Mustang in white, which there was one exact car was there with the four speed, not the automatic with the four speed, 
fantastic car, original, big, huge dollar car. That was like my number one choice. My other number one choice is those Ford GTs that Ford made roughly about 20 years ago. The ones that look like the old ones from the 60s, but they're updated with all like modern equipment, at least modern for 20 years ago. Uh, those cars, the sports cars, two-seaters, those also are uh, one of my favorites. Absolutely uh, favorites. But uh, a lot, I, I even put a list on Facebook, I think, yesterday. If anybody's wondering, when I go to an auction, what am I uh, looking at? Uh, I actually put a list there uh, for people to see. And uh, you can, uh, you know, you can do a lot of uh, looking around and you can sit in a lot of the cars. Uh, some of them are a lot, some of them are locked, but some of them you can sit down in them. You know, they have people kind of watching so nobody does anything crazy. Um, you know, you can get right up on them. You can look under the hoods and, and everything else because they're all for sale. So people want to look at them and have an idea of what they're buying, what they're getting into. So, um, it's really, really cool. We always have a good time. And, uh, Brian and I like to, uh, you know, he reminisces about, you know, remembering a lot of these cars when they were regular everyday cars and do a lot of, uh, daydream, daydreaming about such things. So, uh, that was a really good time. Let's see what everybody is, uh, saying here. Uh, yeah. Okay. Hazel, you count. Okay. Hazel. Oh, it's Ashley Higgins. Hello, Ashley. It was a long December, and uh, but but all day you've been getting me through. And it's Mandy Leo. Hello, uh, I'm on Ashley Higgins right now. Okay, Mandy Leo. Hello, Mandy Leo. How are you? Thank you uh, for letting me know. Thank you for catching up. And you're you're on Ashley Higgins right now. Yes, a disappearance that uh, some people believe happened in Las Vegas, but it very well may be it, it, her disappearance actually happened in California. Remember that one? Well, of course her, her brother, Andrew was the guest. Thank you uh, for letting me know who you are. Thank you uh, for catching up there. Uh, Barbara says I've been rewatching some early unfound episodes. Well, please read. Uh, I hope you get used to uh, the audio wasn't quite as good back then, Barbara, and maybe my interviewing skills weren't as good. So, Please excuse those things. Hello, Charlotte. What's going on? And Brian says, 1971 Mark One is a cool car. Those are cool cars. I love that. The 6970 body style for the Mustangs is the best body style of all time. It's probably why that's one that got copied when they started redesigning them in the early, in the mid-2000s, that they copied that body style. Makes all the sense in the world. You're right. I agree with you, Brian. Um, dad had a 32 Ford sedan. He's had it since 1963. See, a lot of people were into those, uh, you know, just, uh, like I said, you start going back into the 1950s and my interest in earlier, my interest starts really dropping, dropping, dropping off. I don't know, uh, why that is. So that's what I did on Saturday. I was happy to be able to make some time to go do that. And then, of course, uh, today, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers lost. The game got moved to today. They played at 4.30 Eastern time in Buffalo. Of course, all that snow and the weather. And they lost. I know they got beat by, what, two touchdowns or whatever, but it was actually a closer game than it looked, than it looks according to the score. Steelers had some turnovers, costly interception down at the goal line. 
Buffalo won, but they weren't better by too much. I'm I'm here to tell you. So um, it's only maybe the third or fourth Steeler game I've watched all season, and it was on here here on TV. But uh, I, I usually back in the day, ten years ago or something, I would have taken a loss like this much harder than I do now. I just. And so, uh, like I, I said, I've kind of gotten a little, um, you know, emotionally detached for some, for some reasons. So they lost today. So they're going to the offseason. Buffalo now has Kansas City coming in next week. And right now, actually, coincidentally, right now here in the Tampa area over at the stadium, Tampa is playing the Eagles. And right before I came onto this microphone, uh, Buccaneers were winning 10 nothing at home. So there's a big football game going on about a half hour directly uh, in that direction, directly east. So those are just uh, some things. Um, it's been getting work done. I got the interview done for this coming Friday that I will tell you about before we all depart tonight. So where am I going to start with all of this stuff? that I want, I need to get to tonight. I'd like to get through everything that I listed uh, some minutes ago before we are, are, are done tonight. So I'm going to start here. Probably most importantly, this Thursday, I'll be missing trivia on Thursday so as to uh, do Dr. Dr. Telesco's show. This will be, the, of course, the first one for 2024. I'm very excited about it. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, as I think I've already told all of you, we're going to be covering the disappearance of Snea Phillip, who went missing on September, seemingly went missing on missing on September 11th of 2001 in New York City. So not on, she went missing on 9-11. I know many of you know who she is. But uh, the end of last week in preparation, I've already sent to Dr. Telesco all of my notes and kind of what I think we need to cover for Snea's disappearance. And it's interesting, uh, and I know most of you, if not all of you, know that I do this for all of the disappearances that I look at, that I do go back using newspapers.com to – See what was written about the disappearance at the time. It doesn't matter if it was five years ago or 20 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, I always like to see what was written about the disappearance at the time, if there were any, it was anything written. Like we uh, discovered last week with Larry um, Goodman's that there were articles written for his first disappearance, but not his second one. And that was something that I asked you to really contemplate why that was as you were listening, if you've listened to that episode yet. So it's interesting that the Dr. Telesco and I are surely going to get to. And when I went back and started reading uh, the first articles written about Snea and her being missing in New York City, which was roughly 10 to 2 weeks after September 11th, it's amazing how at the time her family thought that she didn't disappear in the towers. It's right there in quotes in the newspapers at the time. But then at some point, they flipped around and started saying, oh, yeah, 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 she did die in the World Trade Centers. 
So this is something that I didn't realize. Maybe some of you who are maybe what uh, have uh, you know studied her disappearance more than I have, at least until recently, maybe that's something that you already knew. But that was news to me, and it, those are the kinds of things that always catch my attention. It would obviously, if uh, if I were interviewing her family, if this was a regular episode of Unfound that we're going to be doing, of course, that would be something that I would have to ask somebody in in Snea's family. Why was it at the beginning that you thought that she had been murdered or she's out there in New York City and something bad happened to her somewhere? But then you changed her mind and said, oh, no, no, no. She went down to ground zero and she got killed when the, the buildings fell. Or they didn't really fall. They collapsed. I guess it's different. Um, it was very interesting. I, that was something that I didn't know. So it was a, uh, a big surprise when I, I I saw that. So I'm going to bring, as you know, what I bring to every discussion. I bring my disappearance experience. That's what I'll be doing on Thursday, uh, Thursday evening. And of course, Dr. Telesco, being that she was there. Uh, if you'll remember from the interview that I did with her back in December, November, December of 2022, she talked about her experience from September 11th, what she was doing that day, where she was going and everything. She can use her experience and we'll see what we eventually decide. Did Snea Phillip actually die? Did she go down to ground zero? Is that believable? Or did something else happen to her? Maybe even the night before on September 10th. So uh, that's going to be this Thursday, January 18th, going to be at 7 p.m. Eastern. That will be on the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice channel, like always, the Dr. T show. And, uh, uh, of course, her uh, assistants will be asking questions. They'll be um, monitoring the chat. So I'm hoping all of you can make some time for that. Um, Comment. Ask some questions, whatever you want to do. I hope you will get in on that uh, for Thursday evening. Uh, and like I said, I always have to miss a, a night of trivia to go do this, but really I, I don't mind it at all. And in fact, I don't feel so bad because last week we actually won uh, a trivia last Thursday. So uh, maybe I don't feel so bad uh, missing this Thursday. So let's see what everybody uh, is um, saying here. Uh, that's a long time. Hey, Hazel. Yeah, you bought it for three fifty. Hey, Shuri, having tech issues. Be back soon. Okay, Shuri. Um, wonder what's going on there with the tech issues. Maybe it's a, a snow thing, uh, a freezing thing. Uh, but that's okay, Shuri. You do what you got to do. Thank you. Uh, Hazel says, Cars Football, when are we going to talk fashion? Uh, we can talk fashion, Hazel, as long as it is, as long as the fashion is talking about, uh, heavy metal t-shirts, <laughs> which, um, I have, uh, quite, uh, quite a few, uh, hello, uh, Brian, uh, Hazel, really looking forward to the episode with Dr. Telesco. Hazel, thank you for making time this coming Thursday. Marty's here fashionably late. And I guess, Sheree, you're back. Excellent. Uh, Marty says, I'm looking forward to the Dr. T show this Thursday. I lean towards the belief she disappeared the night before. Uh, can't argue with that, Marty. It just, um, you know, the, the, one of the big issues uh, that we'll get to on Thursday is that Snea and her husband 
I'm, I'm not saying he had anything to do with their disappearance, but they did have seem to have some sort of unusual type of marriage. And he admitted that uh, she was going and staying out all night at bars and she was going home with other women. And I, I, as I stated, I think last week or the week before, I'm not a prude. Um, you know, people are, can be swingers. They have threesomes and all these things. I'm, you know, I don't want the government or anybody else to get involved in any of that. On the other hand, we also have to realize that when we have situations like that, that probably the odds of something unusual happening rises. And I even have it in my notes. I don't even need to look at my notes for Thursday because I, you know, I just just did them a couple days ago. So kind of some of it's fresh in my mind, although I will use notes on Thursday that, you know, he said something. He, he made a quote like, well, he wasn't having a relationship. She wasn't having a relationship with any of these women. She was just going home with them and everything. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you know that? Not that I care. But how do you know that? Are you, you don't know that you're not there. You're just, you're just going by what she tells you. So we're going to get into all of that on Thursday. And I think what we're also saying here is that, and we have to realize that Snea seemingly had a drinking problem and she had been disciplined at one of the hospitals. If she was more, um, if I can say what we expect of doctors that, you know, not getting disciplined, not having drinking problems and things like that, then I think it would really, really, really raise the probability that she did disappear down at ground zero, that she seemingly was having these various issues. And and I would say, I'll even say myself, knowing about some of this, if I knew my doctor, and I just saw my doctor a week ago, got a clean bill of health. Uh, my doctor, Corrine, is fantastic. But if I were to find out that he had gotten disciplined by a hospital, that he had some sort of addiction or drinking problem or something and staying out all night and all of this other stuff, I would have to admit that I might think about finding another doctor. It wouldn't be that I don't think that he could be a good doctor, but instead I might be thinking – you know, I want the stuff between me and my doctor to be private. If I'm going to talk about my health and what's going on with it, I want to talk about it. But I would worry that if he was doing this and he was doing that, he might just be blabbing to all of these people, you know, while he has a couple in him about his patients. And I might worry about that. So that all figures in to Snea's disappearance, in my opinion. Uh, let's, um, uh, te- uh, Charlie, uh, Shree says it was a Texas thing, but not related to the freeze. Tell you about later. Okay. Uh, your technical issue. Okay. Gotcha. Shree. Hello fishing. What's going on? Good to see you tonight. Uh, so good when fishing is here. Hazel says she was a free spirit, huh? An artist. I think she was a butterfly. Uh, Snea. No, she should have just thought about being a doctor first. Uh, I think she was having issues regarding she could have been her own sexuality. Rock uh, Rockford says tough law for your Steelers, but Tomlin got 100 percent 
out of that team. Yeah, given everything, I suppose, uh, Rockford, uh, but I will tell you that if he wants to leave the Steelers and quit or retire, whatever, yeah, buddy, most fans are going to be perfectly fine with that. I really don't care either way, but a lot of fans are like, I think we've seen enough. Steve's shopping bags are missing. It's something that leans me to something happening the night before. Yeah, hey, so we will get into that. So, if, uh, so you know, when it comes to disappearances in the 21st century, at least in the United States, this is one of those that uh, is as unique as probably as unique can get. Uh, certainly more unique than Mar Murray's or Brian Schaefer's or Jody Husentruth's or Jeff- Jennifer Kessie's and uh, many others that have occurred. Of course, when you mix in a, a September 11th, although there was a woman in New York who also went missing. Um, her last name was Harris. And I don't know if we'll ever get to cover that disappearance. She's still missing, but she also went missing on September 11th, but not near uh, downtown New York City. But this is one of those disappearances that goes into the league of their own uh, type of disappearance with Snea. And Dr. Telesco and I will will do uh, the best we can with it. Uh, she was seen shopping with another woman. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Uh, Rockford says, my money says Tomlin isn't going anywhere. Either way, I, I don't know, Rockford, if it would surprise me. Either way, he still has at least one more year in his contract. I personally believe that if he did say, you know what, I think I've had a good run with the Steelers. There would be so many teams uh, that would uh, want him to come in and coach them, despite the fact that the Steelers have not won a playoff game since 2017. In fact, they've lost five playoff games in a row, and they've not just lost them. Um, You know, the average um, loss has been well into the double digits. So there's that. All right, moving on. I also want to talk about what something that all of you can be looking forward to. I'm really not sure the form that it's going to take. It very well may be it's just its own episode, or I may play each of these interviews like at the end of an episode, like a regular episode, or maybe each of these will come like out on Monday or something like, like you know. Maybe once in a blue moon I'd do that. But uh, I've decided to interview all of my assistants again. At least the ones that have been with me for uh, a long time. And we did this, I think, in 20, was it 2020? Shereen, uh, I didn't go back and look. But it must have been almost four years ago that I did this. And I just thought, well, maybe it's time to update things. Um and interview them again, see how they're all doing. Uh, of course, we have a Unfound is is more popular, of course, than it was four years ago. I know that I talk about them quite a bit, and this will be an opportunity for everybody, uh, especially new people, to get to know these people I talk about, like Cherie, who is the moderator. Uh, among other things that she she does to help me out, and then Eric kind of he does a lot with um, Unfound on the Ground, which is a, a, a series for Patreon supporters, 
And he's also been a guest at one time. Emily, I interviewed her today. She's my longest uh, tenured, longest running uh, assistant. She's been with me since about April of 2017. She did a fantastic uh, interview today. We had a lot of fun with that. And uh, Sheree and Erica, I'm going to, I think Sheree, um, you know, maybe Sheree, we can get together this weekend, some this coming weekend. Uh, and I think Eric is probably going to be, is it going to be this weekend? He sent me what time would be good for him. We'll work it out. But uh, so I've already interviewed Emily and I also yesterday I interviewed my assistant, Carrie, and that went, uh, well as well. It's, I think it'll be interesting to you for all of you to hear. Uh, she's a former 911 operator. And she has a lot of skills when it comes to FOIAs and researching court cases and has a lot of insight into dealing with police because that's what she did for about seven years as a 911 operator. And she is, uh, along with uh, a listener, Jill, they're really, really digging deep into this, the disappearance of Paul Sanders. So we talk about that uh, in, in her interview as well. I interviewed her yesterday, I interviewed Emily today. And like I said, I'm sure within the next week, uh, I'll be talking to Cherie and Eric as well. And once they're all done, uh, I'll do something with those interviews. Uh, I don't think it's going to be all one episode. I think I'm going to put them out individually, separate somehow, I think. So all of you can be looking for that. And in fact, Shree is saying that was 2020. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it was like April of 2020. I was thinking it was like right around when COVID got started. Shree, so uh, yeah, you're right. Um, uh, Marty says, it's a great idea. I really enjoyed the first time you did it. Okay, yeah, I suppose, especially Marty, since uh, – you you uh, have gotten to listen to all the episodes, so probably you've listened to, um, you've listened to uh, that maybe a lot more recently than a lot of people. Um, the Vanish did Larry Goodman's case today. I saw that. I saw that Charlotte. He never said anything to me. Uh, I the way I understand uh, the Vanish does things. I'm guessing that that interview was done quite a while ago, well before I ever interviewed Larry. But I guess that was, and I don't even think that Larry timed it out that way for it to come out, ours to come out on Friday, and then that one to come out today. I guess the Vanish episodes come out on Mondays. He never said anything to me. I was just working according to my own schedule, to unfound schedule. Of course, it got pushed back a week because I got sick and everything. But I, I think I did know that, and um, that's interesting. Okay, I but I somehow I did run in. I, I think I knew that. Saw something about that. Interesting. I will look forward to it. Marty says I got to check that out. Charlotte, I just re-listened to the Goodman episode today, and the second time through, my mind is changing on what actually happened to Larry. Okay, Marty. <laughs> Sheree says, I'm nervous. You mean about me talking to you, to interviewing you, Sheree? Oh, my goodness. If it, uh, I don't think, uh, it, you know, well, of course, the, the way we know Carrie, I don't know if she gets nervous about much. She didn't seem nervous. Emily admitted that she was nervous before talking to me today, uh, which is funny. 
but she did a fantastic job. I think Sheree will be just fine. I'm better at typing than talking. Um, I think you do both well, Sheree. Sheree, it's always good talking to you. When we have our, although we haven't one happened recently, when you and I and Eric get together to talk about unfound stuff, always good. Uh, yeah, uh, Charlotte, Mari, I didn't listen to the Vanished episode yet, but I'm going to. I think Larry's case was foul play for sure. All right, so Charlotte's going toward um, Larry Goodman foul play. Uh, the reason I didn't bring anything up about the Larry Goodman poll is because because of me going to the auction and everything, really I forgot to post the poll until today. So maybe I will go over that next Monday so everybody knows what the results of the poll were according uh, asking what happened to Larry. Was it suicide, foul play? Did he go and start a new life? So I'll probably go over that next week. Um, already I did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Jada. Hello, Jada. How, uh, how good. How are you? Good to see you tonight there in the chat. Do you have any big bucket list cases you want to cover this year? I, I will tell you, Jada, that I really, uh, don't think about disappearances that way, but I will tell you, um, you know, I think I, I, I could say at least a few things on that topic. I know this is going to sound weird, but I really want to um, reach out. I would like to cover Wendy Guessing's disappearance this year. This is uh, was an Unfound Now episode. She was a woman who was at the pizza place, and then she seemingly left with a guy never to be seen again. It's a disappearance that just happened in 2021. I really hope that we can uh, cover that disappearance this year. Uh, as you will hear about a little later in the show, when I was talking about Michael Miskey, this big trial that is going on in, that has to do with organized crime in, in Hawaii, there are a couple disappearances connected to that case that go way back to the 1990s, if you can believe it, that I would like to uh, cover as well, being now that this is kind of on the front burner with this guy with this trial and everything, I would, I would like to try to cover at least one of those disappearances. That's, that's on my list. Um, those are just a couple, like right off the top of my head. Um, are, are there any others? None that, you know, none that really, uh, jump out at me. I'm looking at, people who I've uh, spoken to recently, um, you know, so maybe we're going to get to cover those, but nothing like I have like a special list really, really reaching out. I will tell you this. Maybe this is another one, Jada. Thank you for the question. Maybe this is another one that just comes to mind. Uh, just recently I uh, posted something in the Tyler Davis group on Facebook, and it turns out that a former guest of Unfound seemingly has some sort of uh, connection there. So this person is going to reach out to Tyler's wife and uh, hopefully we can make that happen. So maybe we can make uh, the disappearance of Tyler Davis uh, an episode at some point this year as well. Of course, he's the guy that was out with his wife, a friend, and he said he wasn't feeling good and they were in an urban area. They're staying at some hotel and then he seemingly just walked away. He called and he said he could see a hotel lights in the in the um, in the uh, out 
you know, in the distant distance, and then he's never seen again. So maybe that's one uh, that I would like to get to this year. So uh, th- that's a really good question, Jada, but that's just off the, the, t- the top of my head. And uh, so there you go. It's not you that makes me nervous. She said it's knowing thousands of people are listening. Well, uh, that is true, Shri, although they're not listening at the time. But, yes, they will eventually hear you. Uh, Jim did say eight other podcasts lined up. Maybe coincident coincides with Jim having a burst of energy on the case. Could be. Really didn't know uh, what he meant by that, Rockford, when he said it. Um, but like I said, the way I understand the way they do things over at the vanished is that they kind of, um, do a lot of interviews at one time and then release them like weekly just found does. Whereas me, I really don't do that too much. Usually when you're hearing an interview, it's only been done maybe at the most two and a half weeks before it airs. They do things a little differently over there, whatever works for him. Yeah, sure. You did a great job the first time I had interviewed you, but I empathize. I'm a nervous person in the spotlight as well. Hello, Carrie. Sheree says you do great. Uh, Rockford, let me see if I can get you any Will County local perspectives on guessing. I've had that in my mind. Rockford, if you could do that, that would be fantastic. I love hearing that. Yeah. Uh, Amy Melkovich case. I would like to see be solved this year. Um, not sure I know that disappearance, Brian. Uh, maybe you want to post a little bit about it in the in the chat there so everybody uh, can know what it is. Very interesting case, uh, Tyler Davis. Yeah, I can't wait to hear Carrie, Emily, and Eric's interview. Very excited about that. Yeah, surely. So um, there we go. So that you can all be looking to that kind of like uh, a little bit of bonus stuff here early in 2024, I guess you could say. So let's move on now to all of that list that I read off at uh, at the beginning. And I'm just going to start right here at the top, and that's with this Michael Miske, M-I-S-K-E trial. And I want to also go over a little bit of the disappearances that are still unsolved that are connected to this trial, even though these disappearances happened way, way back in the 1990s. This is something that's fascinating to me. So this comes to us from Honolulu. Journey selection began today in the murder and conspiracy trial, alleged crime bra boss, Michael Miske, M-I-S-K-E, and associates on charges that date back years. Jurors are coming into the federal courthouse 10 at a time, men and women from all walks of life, Many from the neighbor islands were summoned for jury duty in one of Hawaii's most complex federal criminal trials. This is one of those things, I guess, if it was like in fiction world, this is something that Hawaii Five-0 and um, Steve McGarrett would be involved in. That of Michael Miske, his half-brother John Stansel, and Delia Fabro-Miske, Miske's business associate and widow of his deceased son. In a high-publicity case, you have some extra questions. And the first question is, What is it you've heard about this case in the media or from friends or from social media and things like that? The second question is, can you put aside all the things that you heard and still be fair and impartial? Said legal expert Doug Chin. Jury selection is being handled with one-on-one questioning of 20 minutes at a time by both prosecution and defense. 
and the judge, rather than as a pool, is expected to take days just to seat 12 jurors and six alternates needed for the case. Monday morning's first set had no one no-show due to an inter-island travel mix-up. Out of the six men and three women in the first panel, four were excused for reasons ranging from too big a burden on their business to psychiatric treatment or potential bias. You also want to be able to think about whether there are any challenges going on in somebody's life that are going to prevent them from being able to be able to make a fair and impartial decision. Those picked for the job are in for a marathon. The trial is expected to run between four to six months with a one-week break in March. So I'm, I'm guessing most of you are just hearing about this for the first time. I'm hoping you will Google it and Check it out for yourselves. Jurors from neighboring islands will get to go home on weekends. The scope of the trial is beyond even the other recent high-profile federal cases with three defendants remaining after several others reach plea deals in exchange for witness testimony. The defendants are up on 22 counts, including murder for hire conspiracy connected to the disappearance of Jonathan Frazier, a former friend of Miski's son. There are more than 900 witnesses and thousands of exhibits in evidence. Oh my gosh, it's crazy. Like I said, if this was going on in the lower 48, all the states that are connected together, this would be huge, huge news. But because it's in Hawaii, it almost feels like it's another country. I think without question, whatever you have, whenever you have an organized crime case, there are so few that happen here in Hawaii that's going to involve a lot of complex data, Chin said. So whether it's a lot of paperwork that ties in or connects the dots for the prosecution or whether or not it's a lot of witnesses, you need a lot of that kind of evidence in order to be able to establish an organized crime case. The organization, organization of all that evidence is not up to stuff of the judge, said Honorary Derek Watson, scolding t- attorneys today at a pretrial conference ahead of jury selection. We are far from getting off on the right foot on both sides, Watson said. I apologize. The court had to wake up this morning to come into an SHIT show, said defense attorney Michael Kennedy. Of course, that would be Michael Miske's uh, attorney. So let me now read um, some of the details of the two disappearances that will certainly be brought up. In this trial, both of these disappearances are unsolved, and both of these go way back. Um, the first one has to do with a guy's last name was Kalha, C-A-L-H-A-U. He was last seen uh, leaving his Hawaii home. I'm not going to butcher that name. In his pickup truck at 10.10 p.m. on November 18th, 1996. So over 27 years ago, he told his wife he was going to visit friends in Kalihi and we'd be back in an hour. He was never heard from again. The next day, Kyle House Brown, 1992 Ford pickup truck with a Hawaii license plate number FYS 043 was found parked at the intersection of Kawaka Street and Monolua Road in front of the Our Savior Lutheran Church. A photo of it is posted with this case summary. Calha's disappearance may have a connection to his friend Michael John Miskey Jr., the guy that's now on trial. In May 1995, Miskey was driving Calha's car when he assaulted and attempted to abduct a police officer. Miskey attempted to abduct a police officer who stopped him for speeding. 
The next day, Kyle Hall reported his car stolen, saying that although Miski was a good friend and had lent him the car before, he did not have permission to be driving it that night. When the police questioned him further, he contacted an attorney and refused to speak further on the case. In 19, August 1995, both Miski and Kyle Hall were arrested and charged with second-degree terroristic threatening. But the charges were eventually dismissed when the complaining witness failed to appear in court. Miski reached a plea deal in the abduction case. He pled guilty to kidnapping, assault, and speeding. And in January 96, he was sentenced to five years of probation. The following year, he went back to court to amend his guilty plea to a no-contest plea. Six months after Miski amended his plea is when Calha went missing. He owned the tint shop and auto glass deep tinting company. And in November 1998, two years after Calha's disappearance, the registration of the trade number of his business expired. In 1999, Mike Miski registered a new company of his own, also an autogas glass tinting business called The Tint Shop. Six months later, he started a pest control business as well. Investigators believe that for years, Miski used his pet pest control business as the headquarters for his criminal ep- uh, enterprise, which involved drug trafficking, abduction, murder for hire, robbery, extortion, money laundering, and bank fraud. In 2017, he was arrested and charged with murder in aid aid of racketeering murder for hire conspiracy resulting in death, kidnapping using a facility of interstate commerce resulting in death, and conspiracy to commit kidnapping, among other offenses. Authorities also believe he orchestrated the abduction and murder of Jonathan Frazier, who disappeared in 2016, so this is much more recently, and was never found. All right, now you should already know. So that's the one I'm going to read about Jonathan Frazier's uh, disappearance here in a moment. But you should know, I kind of had gotten wind of this trial that was going to be happening some months ago because this is what I do. I actually reached out to uh, this guy, Calha, that it, his wife at the time uh, from 1996 when he went missing. Unfortunately, she's not gotten back to me. But I know her phone number. I've not called her, but I do know her email address. And in fact, she's some sort of um, she's like a real estate agent in Hawaii. I was able to track her down. I'm sure I'm sending a message to the right place, uh, but she has not gotten back to me, maybe because this trial is going to be happening, maybe because of the fear and everything that's gone on. So I've, I've reached out to uh, this woman. I do not believe that she had anything to do with any of this. Uh, so already I, I'm trying to um, talk to somebody, but no luck yet. So here's the other disappearance that is connected to this trial that will be happening soon. Jonathan Fraser, and that's F-A-R-F-R-A-S-E-R. Fraser um, was last seen. Uh, let me just sec- check and see what everybody is saying before I uh, – um, everybody – those interviews should be interesting. Brian, I'm sorry I misspelled the name. I promise I re- reigned in my anger on certain situations, Carrie said, regarding her interview. Charlotte, Brian, yes, that sure would be great. Carrie, can't wait to hear. Brock, fascinating case for sure. I'm going to have to look that up. Uh, not Mahalovic. Okay. Um, I feel so bad for Amy's family. Charlotte says... Rockford, yeah, it was Rockford. Got to go now. Have a nice evening. Oh, Brian's leaving. All right, Brian. Uh, goodbye to you. And um, good seeing you. And goodbye to you, I guess. What was that, Patty Smythe? Um, Carrie, uh, holy Linda, that is going to be one long trial. Yeah, it is. 
Even setting aside the disappearances, how did it take this long to catch up with him? I, I'm not sure uh, what the final straw was, Rockford. That's a very good question. Um, I don't have it in my notes. I'm going to guess that somewhere I read that I just don't have it in my notes now because, like I said, I probably reached out to the uh, wife of this cowhaw guy maybe six months ago or something like that. So I probably ran across the reason this is all coming to a head now. I just can't remember. So moving on to the second disappearance, Jonathan Fraser, F-R-A-S-E-R. Fraser was last seen at his apartment in the 6200 block of Kiokia Place in Honolulu, Hawaii at 9.30 a.m. on July 30th, 2016. So right like around the time that Unfound was getting started. He has never been heard from again on August 8th. His gray two-door 1994 Honda hatchback with a license plate, Hawaii license plate number was found parked near the intersection of Summer Street and Kuliawu Road. I know I'm killing these names. A photo of the car is posted with this case summary. In 2017, Michael John Miskey Jr. was arrested and charged with the murder and aid of racketeering murder for hire conspiracy resulting in death, kidnapping using a facility of interstate commerce resulting in death, and conspiracy to commit kidnapping using a facility of interstate commerce in Fraser's case. Um, a photo of Miskey is posted with this post summary. Investigators believe that for years – I already went through that regarding his pest control business. In August 2017, the FBI searched a boat, a 37-foot Boston whaler called Painkiller, like after the uh, Judas Priest song and album, and seized over 100 items in connection to Fraser's case. Among the items included marine navigation equipment, SD cards, vacuum and engine filters, engine covers, sponges, brushes, swabs of various parts of the vessel, knives, and a bilge pump with a discharge hose. Investigators believe the painkiller, which was registered to a company formed by Miskey and two business partners, was used in Fraser's abduction and murder. Now, what would be the reason for this? Miskey's son was a close friend of Fraser, and in 2015, the two of them were in a serious traffic accident. Miskey's son died several months later due to complications from his injury. Miskey publicly blamed Fraser for his son's death. Although all available records, including witness statements, identify Miskey's son as the driver of the car. Investigators believe this was the motive for Fraser's murder. So Miskey was blaming this on Fraser. So he's, he tracked Fraser down seemingly allegedly and had him killed or, or Miskey did it himself. So it is alleged. And I guess, like I said, this is all going to come out in this trial. But these two disappearances are just a small part of this huge, huge case. Now that last part kind of reminds me of um, who was the guy that, that they called the Teflon Don out of New York City. Um, that's what he did, allegedly, is that he had a, a son who got hit by a car and died. And wouldn't you know, eventually, the guy who was driving the car, that Gotti, thank you, uh, Charlie, yeah. Um, Gotti and his thugs actually ended up tracking the guy down who was driving the car, and that guy disappeared. He is still missing. In fact, I should look 
should look that guy's name up. Maybe one of you can do that. I, I guess that might be on the uh, Charlie Project and also on Namus, whoever this guy was. But John Gotti and his buddies tracked this guy down who killed John Gotti's son. And surely they killed him, you know, caused this disappearance and killed him. So that's kind of what I think about when I think about this Miski guy and what he allegedly did to this Fraser uh, guy. And if you get even deeper into this, um, it was alleged that somebody saw actually saw Fraser being tortured or, or something like that. I'm not sure whether I'm supposed to believe that or not, but um, I'm going to guess all of this is all news to you. You didn't know that there was going to be this huge, big federal trial in Hawaii. Well, there is. So you might want to follow it. I don't know if it's going to be on court TV. It certainly seems like it should given uh, the, um, the amount of witnesses and the evidence and, and everything else. So maybe it will make it onto court TV. Uh, I really don't know, but I, like I said, I'm guessing this is uh, some new news to all of you. And I know many of you get into this type of stuff. I'm not much of a court TV watcher myself, even though I have it on my TV. Uh, but I know some of you are, so maybe you want to keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, John Unuma is thinking, you spent all this time and resources on me, and this guy is running around loose on the island. Seriously, it interests me how official attention gets allocated. Yeah. John Anuma is, is Rockford. Is John Anuma the guy uh, can, kind of allegedly connected Chris to Montefiore's disappearance? Is that that guy? Maybe I'm right about that. So that's that story. Y'all want to look that up. Once again, if you just want to look up Michael, you can just Google Michael Miske, M-I-S-K-E. All right, moving on. I have to talk about the jellyfish UFO. A video of what has since been dubbed a jellyfish UFO is making the rounds online. The footage shared by journalist Jeremy Corbel earlier this week, just, just within the last couple weeks, shows a mysterious object that appears to have dangling tendrils and which appears to smoothly float over the roofs of a military base in Iraq. According to Corbel, the UFO footage dates back to October of 2018. Naturally, the online UFO community had a field day speculating what the object might be. Two days later, Corbo followed up with a different image of a chandelier UFO, which was also reportedly filmed over the Persian Gulf. The Pentagon is yet to weigh in on the footage, but the video comes after interest in unidentified aerial phenomenon. UAPs have has steadily grown, with members of Congress even receiving a classified briefing earlier this month. Ultimately, despite plenty of speculation, we've yet to hear anything close to a confirmed report of ETs coming to visit us. And as you'd expect, there's already evidence that the latest video has much more mundane as a much more mundane explanation. Ghost story. This week, Marine Officer Michael Sinkowski opened up to News Nation about the footage telling the outlet that the jellyfish was actually nicknamed the spaghetti monster when it was collected, and the sighting started at the end of 2017, not 2018. According to Sinkowski, the footage was taken from an aerostat, <clears throat> a big balloon observatory that was floating over the base to detect any incoming threats. Toward the end, it seemingly continued 
off into the distance, he told News Nation, but refuted Corbell's claims that it ever dropped into the lake or shot into the sky. And it ended up being the ghost story of the base, Sinkowski added. Critics, however, say both the jellyfish and chandelier had a much more simpler explanation than some outlandish alien theories would suggest. The chandelier UFO appears to be a diffraction artifact, tweeted writer and noted UFO debunker Mick West. Basically a glare from a very bright hot source like a missile rocket engine. And the jellyfish was likely two different balloons like entities moving about 12 kilometers apart. West added that appeared to be moving at the same speed as the wind, a strong clue that instead of an alien visitor, it's just a balloon. Uh, As you know, um, I I am not uh, a believer that uh beings from other planets have come here i do not believe that they live among us like what is that movie they live with rowdy roddy piper or whatever uh i am a complete doubter of all of that it has nothing to do with religion or anything else it's just just kind of the way that my mind works but you always have to remember something about this, and this maybe even goes back to, of course, this of course this goes back to those other uh, videos of what they call the little white tic tac, and those guys in those F-18s or whatever they were, you know, on their scopes, seeing this thing flying, allegedly flying, and, and everything else. And I continue to believe that all of this is just mistakes by computers. And if you do a lot of reading on this, it is amazing how much this stuff seems to happen right after a plane or you know a jet or a ship or whatever else uh, gets like an upgrade in software or they get a new system that's been designed you know to, to replace like an older system, a new radar system, a new heat seeking system, all of this stuff, you know, radar jamming and everything that the military of the United States has. It's amazing how much of this happens right after there is an upgrade or something. And all of us, of course, can certainly relate to that. All, all of us with these phones and, you know, there you are sleeping and your phone gets some Android update and you wake up the next day and everything looks different. And you're wondering why your apps are in different places and what happened here. And why is this now turned on? And why is my ringer changed and everything else? This happens in the military too. And none of these systems are 100% correct. And I think one of the other things that you have to keep in mind about all of this is how these systems work. Uh, of course, at least in my lifetime, I'm 53 years old, there has been, you know, when I was born, There was only really film. Now, if you really, really get into it, there was like video cameras. Uh, They were huge and you you had to mount them on your shoulder and everything else. But really when, when I was born in 1970, if you had anything for the news, like somebody out somewhere, like if they were filming a a fire or something, that was all done on film. And the film had to be uh, developed and, you know, put in the chemicals and developed and everything. And that's how it made it onto the news. Then you get into like the 1980s, beta came along, and that's what they've used ever since. And in fact, even though we have like digital stuff, I think a lot of news places still use beta because you don't have to download it. It's it's like VHS, but better. It's very easy to edit on the fly. 
but you have to remember something about anything regarding video is it's not um it's not the actual image unlike film when back in the day if any of you are old enough to remember if you had like an eight millimeter camera or something like that for home movies when you would be shooting that and the way that works the actual image is being captured you know it's using the 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 uh the film along with light and everything to replicate the image onto that film that then you can watch later that's not how video works video interprets things that it senses and of course things can be uh you know these kinds of things can be fooled they can make mistakes probably one of the biggest ways you can notice this is if you watch uh, anything that's shot with video that has like a, a striped pattern or something like that, um, the, the image can get distorted. And it's once again because video cameras have a tough time determining what to do with that. Now, I realize, you know, with 4K and all this, it's gotten much, much better. But we have to remember something. With film, it's capturing the actual image. With video, it's an interpretation of the image as determined by a computer. And so I think a lot of this also plays into what you're hearing about here is that, you know, this is very high-end, sophisticated equipment, but it can still be fooled. There are mistakes that still can be made. And so when I see those, those videos and everything, I look at them and say, this just looks to me like a computer making a mistake. Some flaw in the software or something, or like they're saying, some sort of glare in which the computer is um, seeing it a certain way, but that's not really what is there. Now, if you haven't seen this video, and I have watched the video, and I've seen the pictures of this, really what it looks like, I, just to be honest with you, is that it just looks like a bird crapped on the lens of the, of the, of the camera. That's what it kind of looks like. So, uh, but it's also, this is a very good example, and, and this certainly, um, we can relate this to disappearances, certainly, and maybe just human nature as a whole, is it so much we just see what we want to see we 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 tell ourselves that we're these very we're, we're very objective we just go by the facts and nothing phases us and we're so objective and you know everything's very black and white and it's very yes and no and we're just processing the information as it comes in and and that is just not how humans are. And I, I put myself in that category as well. Um, this is what makes, you know, for disappearances, we all know uh, that people see what they want to see. Now, some of maybe some, a lot of the disappearances we cover on and found, it's fairly obvious what happened. Um, but on others, it's not as obvious. And what do people start doing? They start tapping into their own experiences and then. You know, things maybe start getting very, very, very subjective instead of very objective. 
And we might even talk about, for example, Steve Pankey. Uh, you know, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? A lot of people think he's guilty for these reasons. A lot of people think he's not guilty. Even though everybody has the same facts, there are no no hidden facts regarding the the, the murder of Janelle Matthews and everything. It it very well could be that people see what they want to see. Some people think that because he's strange that he absolutely had to have done it. And then there are other people who think, well, nobody would be that really that stupid to really get himself mixed up in a murder investigation if he didn't really do it, you know, just all over the range. So it's, so when it comes like this for something like UFOs, of course, everybody who believes in UFOs, it's like, oh yeah, finally, look at us. We told you, we keep telling you it's uh, you know, secret military tech or it's the Chinese or something like that. But then there are other people who look at it and say, you know, this just looks like a smudge on, on the camera lens. It, it really is uh, fascinating to me, uh, and, and as you know, um, I, I am an observer of human nature. I love talking to people about human nature. I think all of you have learned, uh, if you've listened to me very carefully, you know I'm a very, a very cynical when it comes to human nature. So uh, you can check that out for yourself. All you have to do is Google uh, jellyfish UFO, maybe Hazel. You haven't heard about this. Uh, this has very, been very much an American thing, I guess, Hazel. Uh, but you can uh, kind of look it up for yourself. You can find the video. You can find snapshots of it. Now, what the, what uh, one of the other things about it that wasn't in that article was that, of course, they're using these balloons and they have these cameras on. Like, well, I got this thing, and so. You would have soldiers outside like using their night vision to like look up into the sky where this thing allegedly is and nobody's seeing anything. And so that's why they were also calling it kind of like a ghost or something. And, and it's so weird to me that, that so many people would automatically default to, well, it, it must be some UFO or something like that. If, if it's me and I'm using night vision, I'm looking up into the sky where they're telling me where it is and I don't see it, I'd automatically think, you know what, I think your system's messed up. I think that's what's going on. So could this just be a bunch of people uh, just creating hype and everything to get them tensions for themselves? Certainly possible. Uh, And in fact, when it comes to these hearings that they've had on UFOs, I have to admit that I might, once again... I'm just as biased as everybody else. But my my instinct is always, my knee-jerk reaction is, I think these people just like the attention. And, you know, they're, they're allegedly whistleblowers, and they're telling that people that, well, I got fired because I was, you know, I wanted to go public with this. Well, maybe you got fired because you're nuts. And they didn't think you could be trusted anymore with secret information or something. Maybe that's the reason. Maybe you just like to, maybe you just like to talk too much. Maybe it's that. So, um, so there you go. Uh, maybe some of you have not heard that story. Uh, I wouldn't say that uh, UFO stories come up a lot on this live show, but when something is making the news uh, like this, this getting this much attention. I, I got to talk about it. Um, 
let me see what everybody else is saying. Uh, yeah, John and Newman, right. So Kristen Modafferi, uh, is there a connection there? I, I, I have to admit, Rockford, the, the connection between Anuma and, and Kristen Modafferi did not, has never seemed that solid to me. Of course, the guest for that episode um, really thinks there is something viable there. I'm not so sure, but okay, fine. Hey, so I've been, I've not seen fix of the pics of the jellyfish UFO. Never heard of it. You got to look it up, Hazel. I'm sure you can Google that in New Zealand and you will find it. I don't think it's, uh, this is a story that you can only find in the United States. I think it's all over uh, the world. Rockford says, David Politi's call your office. Look at you, Rockford. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte said, we had a Super 8 video camera. Yeah. Um, yeah. The funny thing, Charlotte, is my dad had a Super 8 uh, film camera, Super 8 video, I guess, film camera. And um, I don't think he ever, you know, he, this would have been going way back. This would have been 50 years ago. But I don't think he ever filmed me at all. I, I can remember he used this camera to do some sort of uh, – some sort. You know, my dad was a teacher, by the way. If you didn't know that, uh, health teacher, phys ed teacher, football coach, and he had to do some sort of presentation, and so he was filming people like doing exercises and everything. And he was actually used this Super Eight camera, and I can remember seeing the camera in our house as a little kid. I can remember seeing the projector, and we had like the screen. And, you know, you'd pull it out and everything. I don't think he ever got his uh, little son, me, on video or film ever. <laughs> I don't think he ever did that. I just don't think uh, why that is, I don't know. In fact, I should ask him about that. I'm going to tell him it came up on the live show tonight. And I'm going to ask him, you know, why did you have this Super 8 camera? But I've never seen any uh film of me now i know that film somewhere but you know i don't think he it's somewhere maybe in his attic at his home it's somewhere i'll have to ask him about that yeah super eight uh you know it's very 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 uh thin film of course uh there's no uh you know there's no audio or anything it's just if you want audio you have to put in a camera and then you have to get a separate recorder and and all of that stuff for filming you know, unlike video. Hey, so my first thought, it was always, it's a fake. Just believe next to nothing these days, unless confirmed by the legal expert. Um, yeah, regarding the UFO, Hazel. Okay, fine. And Charlotte says, we took movies uh, of our kids. Yeah, I just don't think that my dad ever did that of me, which I guess now that I'm thinking about it, maybe uh, I'm a little surprised. I don't know. There are a lot of pictures. My mother took tons of pictures of me as a little kid. Many, 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 many. Uh, but when it comes to film, like 8 millimeter film, even though they had a camera and everything, never did that. Maybe because you know, film probably was not cheap and then you have to get it developed and everything. Uh, maybe that had something. All right, moving on. I, uh, this is a story that I wanted to get to last week, but I ran out of time. And this has to do with the woman in the freezer. 
A body found in a San Diego freezer last month may have been that of a woman who has been missing or dead for up to nine years. So we're going back to like 2015. Police said Thursday, quote unquote, out of town family members who were visiting a residence called local authorities when they discovered the body in the freezer, police said in December. The family members are related to someone who currently lives in the home and are not related to the woman in the freezer, according to police. Police added the freezer was running when the body was found. The San Diego Police Homicide Unit was called in to investigate because of the unusual location of the body. You don't say. Police identified the body Thursday, that of Mary Margaret Haxby Jones. So Mary Margaret Haxby, H-A-X-B-Y, and then hyphenated Jones. And I guess she would be 81 now. So it seems that if she's been in there for nine years, she has been in there since she was 72. She is a white woman. Based on the investigation to this point, detectives believe it is possible that Haxby Jones may have been missing or dead up to nine years. Police said no missing persons report was ever filed for Haxby Jones. And you should know uh, in preparation for this, of course, there's nothing on the Charlie Project, nothing on NamUs. And I even went to newspapers.com to find if anything had ever been even been written about her disappearance or about her at all in general. I could find nothing. She is believed to have lived at the address on Zion Avenue, Z-I-O-N, Zion Avenue, at some point prior to the discovery of her body. And I I did verify that by going, using a database that I use. Yes, uh, she lived at that residence uh, where she was found. Police said that the cause of death has yet to be determined and that the medical examiner's office is investigating, adding that no obvious traumatic injury to the body was noted. And they continue to investigate the case as a suspicious death. Detectives are asking anyone who may have known Haxby Jones or has any information about her to come forward. This is this is one of those um, those stumpers. So maybe I'm just going to ask you. We have quite a few people in the chat tonight. What do you think happened there? Um, you should know that no further more complete stories have been written in the last couple of weeks since I copied this one. So what do you all think about this? So at some point in the past, nine years ago, somehow she got put in this freezer. Seemingly no, there was no reports made. Nobody seemed to be missing her. Nobody seemed to know that she was missing. We don't have any stories that friends were like, where is she? What about her kids? Did they not wonder where she was? Did she have any kids? I'm not even sure. Uh, Was there a man in her life? Was she married? What went on there? What are we to think of this? Now, you should know what's also interesting to me in looking her up on one of the databases that I used. She's still considered in that house. She's still considered to be the owner here in 2024. So she might've gone missing, for example, in 2015 and she owned the house. She's still considered to be the owner of the house. However, other people are living in it. So is there somebody else that they're paying rent to? Are these squatters in her house now? 
I don't know. Now, you should know I did look up. Uh, I did find a relation to her that's a male. His name is Robert Haxby. And, uh, but it's hard to say he's around her age, but it's hard to tell whether that is her husband or a brother. I could not find any verification that she was ever married. I didn't go to like ancestry.com. Maybe I might find something there. And there's also the California birth index uh, site. If you don't know this, that there is a website where you can go and you can find the records for anybody that's ever been born in the state of California. And it's all free. All you have to do is put in somebody's last name and you can find out um, when that person was born. If they were born in the state of California and find out who the parents were. Uh, it's very helpful. Very, I, I, although I haven't been there recently, it's a very interesting uh, website. I think, it, what is it? CaliforniaBirthIndex.org, I think is what it is. And, um, but we have this Robert Haxby guy, not sure if he's a husband or a brother, but at one time he was connected to this property that she owned and where she was found. So I I even have it written in my notes. I will tell you that this does feel like a kind of the man said type of disappearance. Of course, what's hard to understand is let's say the man in her life did kill her and put her in this freezer. I mean, what exactly was the plan? And did they not have any children together? Did the not children not wonder where their mother is? Why wasn't any missing persons report found or filed? Um, If they didn't have any kids, did she not have any friends? Did they go around and he just say, you know, I don't know, as we've heard so many times on unfound, uh, did this, you know, did he just say, I don't know what happened to her. I got up one day and she was going out the door and she got in a, a pickup with some guy and was never seen again. Maybe. Very well could be. Of course, the other issue is how is it, uh, you know, how long have these people been living in this house? <laughs> and I, I think that we would all be very uh, flummoxed to find out if these people were living in this house for like a couple years and they only opened this freezer now. So was this a situation where these people, maybe the house had been vacant for a while and somebody was renting, somebody decided to rent it out or or whatever, however, when they go in and they start looking around and boom, they find a body in the freezer. These are things uh, that are unknown. This story and none of the other stories that I could find are very exact, Um, you know, very exact uh, regarding this, um, now maybe there, I, I haven't gone and looked this week. Maybe there's some chatter that's going on, for example, on like web sleuths or something. Maybe people who are from that area personally know, maybe live in that area, maybe know this family or something that, you know, you, you sometimes get that on web sleuths that might have some more insight that is not making it into the regular media. But I, I will be interested to find out what the, you know, if we ever do find out what the answer is to all of this. You know me, I mean, I know all about renting. I, I've never owned a house. So I've, 
lived in apartments in Las Vegas. I ended up living in a couple houses uh, before I moved to Florida. Of course, I lived down in Madeira Beach in my own little place, and now I'm in this place. And it's hard for me to imagine that I move into a place and like don't check out all of the, all of the rooms and closets and refrigerators and freezers just to see, you know, just kind of because this is kind of just what you do when you move into a place. But there she was, dead in the freezer. Maybe we also might have to be open to the idea. Of course, we don't know much about her. Maybe she had, maybe she had lost her mind. Maybe she had been diagnosed with cancer and, and maybe this was the way to uh, commit suicide. I know that's really, really, really a weird way to do it. We also might have to be open to the idea that this is an accident. Is this like one of those big freezers where say she faints and falls into, she's open up the freezer to get something. She faints, she falls into the freezer and it closes and locks. Some of these freezers, these big freezers, they just don't open up. You have to like push a button or something to open them. Could that be what happened? What I would recommend to all freezer manufacturers out there, you should make something the inside that can override, uh, you know, the door system, you know, just like you have in cars now. All modern cars, if you have a trunk, there's a way to get out of the trunk from the inside. I don't know if you've ever seen that little thing that you can pull. It even has like a little picture of pulling it and then you're supposed to run away. Very unusual story. This is not, uh, you know, I don't know. Maybe it's, Maybe there are other situations where people move into a house uh, or rent something, maybe on a huge piece of land, and maybe they're walking around and they find human remains or something like this. But to find to find a body in a freezer, uh, that surely does not happen too often. Let's see what everybody is uh, saying uh, about this. Marty goes, says, going back to videoing and filming, I record everything with my boys. I have so many pictures and videos. It's insane. Yeah, my my dad and I have talked about this, Marty. The only regrets we really have is that he, he never videoed any of my baseball games in high school and in Legion. That's really the only thing that we're like, man, we wish we had some videos of that. Um, we could have done that. Of course, the VCR cameras were out at that time. They were a little bulky, but they were surely, you know, decent quality. And they surely, um, you know, I have many VHS tapes uh, of stuff. Uh, certainly last from the 1980s, but just didn't do that. And um, we kind of regret it. Hazel, maybe your death was hidden in someone's store of things. Well, for checks, very possible, Hazel. I guess the the question then is why did not anybody else notice that she was missing? Was she a homebody or something? We, you know, I just don't know anything about her. I, I don't. Charlotte says, I think she was probably murdered. Hello, Miranda. How are you? Good to see you. Her social security check is probably going to someone. So Miranda is going right to, this sounds like social security fraud. I think certainly got to look into that. I think that's very insightful, Miranda. Victoria, property tax history would be important. I, I think I agree with that as well. Yes, she might be the owner of the property here in 2024, but what about the taxes being paid on it? Who were paying them and who was paying for the garbage and the trash and electricity and everything else? These are all excellent questions that might lead investigators to narrow down what happened to her. Good stuff from Miranda and Victoria. 
Uh, Hazel, person who hit her death is collecting rent from home and money coming to her. All right, so maybe we got a, a squatter situation. We, those stories seem to be coming up more and more. Um, people renting places out, and then they try to kick the person out and can't do it and change the locks and everything else. I can't imagine that. That's just um, – just can't imagine it. Uh, Rockford, any chance it could have been accidental? I did bring that up. Rockford, hard to imagine with an adult, but need to know about her size and freezer dimensions. If murder, is that a smart place to conceal a body? How did law enforcement find it? Well, it seems like people who are in the house found it. And that's why I'm asking, did these people just move in or they'd been living there six months and then just finally decided to open this freezer? It's unclear. Uh, Barbara, find out where the social are. So we got another social security check person. You all of you are, uh, obviously if you've been brushing up on these such things, uh, someone was collecting her checks. So Carrie's going in that direction a while as well. Miranda, she could have died naturally and then put in the freezer. It was killed, but I think it's all about her money. Yeah. I, I think the point, it's a weird, you, if you're going to cause somebody's disappearance, that's a weird place to put her. Because eventually she is going to be found by somebody. But on the other hand, uh, look at Eric Franks' car. It was sitting in that uh, garage for years and nobody noticed. Kathy, hard to believe it's accidental or that anyone would harm themselves in this way. Boyfriend or husband temporarily put there after dumping her. Then fled squatters take over abandoned house. Yeah. Could be some people moved in there uh, illegally or something, and then they found her and was like, and maybe even they got spooked out by it. I, maybe that's possible. If that is the case, wouldn't someone have wondered about her? You would think, Charlotte. You would think. Uh, just hard to say. Um, but uh, if uh, she was on, you know, if she had, let's just maybe hypothesize here. And once again, don't. Uh, really know what's going on if there are any updates i don't think there are but say she had kids with her first husband got divorced and maybe she was on her second or third husband and this guy does something to her then you know the kids come calling he says i don't know what happened to your mother she took off we know this happens we're always confused by why you know so many times it seems to end there we don't know why there's no missing persons report. Maybe these kids just believe the guy a little too much. Maybe he really, really, really told a really, really convincing story. This is all hypothesizing. I don't know if any of this happened. All we know is it's just a little weird for a woman to be found years and years later in a freezer where it seems people have been living for a while. In the freezer of a house where people have been living for a while. I don't. No. Uh, Hazel, couple murdered and buried parents in UK wrote to family pretending to be them. Daughter took all the parents' stuff. So Hazel's going in a very viable direction too. It very well could be that somebody killed her and then somebody was pretending to be this woman. And so that's what uh, kept anybody from realizing that she was dead. That's a very good one. Good, good thinking, Hazel. Good thinking. Uh, they were an older couple too, like fifties and sixties parents murdered very elderly. Could be it. We just have a big question. Of course, no missing persons report filed. Like I said, I went to newspapers.com could not find any talk about her at all. So 
whoever did this, it seems if, if this was murder, if this were murder, uh, this person got away with it until recently. So maybe some of you want to Google that. Once again, uh, just to go over this again, the woman's name uh, is Mary Margaret Haxby Jones, H-A-X-B-Y hyphen Jones. And at least at this time in 2024, she would be 81 years old. And this is in the uh, San Diego area of California. And this is a house that was on Zion Avenue. And in fact, I found the exact address. I don't have it here right in front of me, but it's on Zion Avenue. You look at the house, it's just a regular house like anybody else's with neighbors on both sides and everything. All right, moving on. I want to talk about this uh, predator, this sex predator, child molester who got caught due to a video game. Authorities say they were able to locate a missing 16-year-old girl from Ohio at a residence in Florida with the help of the popular online video game World of Warcraft. I know nothing about any of these games. The FBI contacted the Marion County, Sher- County uh, Sheriff's Office on Wednesday seeking help finding the teenager, according to a Facebook post by the Sheriff's Office and in, in the North Central Florida area. Investigators learned the teens account for World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft, a massively multiplayer, a massively unpopular uh, um, multiplayer online role-playing game was active at a residence in Dunalan, Dunalan, Florida. I know I've seen that uh, name of that place before. I don't know if I've ever been there. Uh, a multi a multiplayer online game is a video game that takes place in a virtual environment called a persistent state world, according to Technopedia, where potentially millions of players can develop their role-playing characters and interact together. Dunalin is located about 25 miles southwest of Ocala. All right. Huh. So that means if you're going up the 75... Dunalin would be on the west side of the 75 before you get to Ocala. Interesting. I've probably seen the signs. I don't think that I've ever been there. It's kind of, uh, I guess that would kind of be close. Uh, Some of you know that I go and play a disc golf tournament in Floral City. So this has to be close to Floral City. Okay. According to authorities, the residence was the home address of Thomas Ebersol, 31 whose World of Warcraft account was also pinged at the same location. So this uh, missing girl's account and this guy's account came from the same location. Ebersol initially denied knowing the 16-year-old girl, but later admitted, allegedly admitted he had driven to Ohio to meet up with her and bring her back to Dunalin, according to the post from the sheriff's office. Ebersol was arrested later Wednesday, this is a couple weeks ago now, for allegedly traveling to meet a minor to engage in sexual activity, interfering with child custody, and sheltering an unmarried minor. He also told authorities he was in a romantic relationship with the teen and planned to hide her in his Dunalin home and make her his wife. Guy's going to have a very tough time in jail. Ebersole provided Detective 
Osthid with Discord messages that further outlined his plans to meet the victim in Ohio and engage in sexual activity despite knowing that he was committing a crime, authorities said in the Facebook post. Ebersole was transported to the Marion County Jail and is being hailed without bond. Uh, as I have written in here in my notes, everyone is lucky that this is the worst that happened. Um, you know, uh, being, of course, being that she's underage, um, there's the, the, the name is not there, but I am wondering, although I didn't look, I have to admit I didn't look. I'm wondering if there were any uh, corresponding um, Amber Alerts from Ohio regarding this particular girl um you know not that you know we really 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 we really don't need to know her name but uh i'm just wondering if this was something that when she did go missing from ohio that this got a lot of attention i'm just i'm just wondering about that i i would also say i have written here in my notes that the guy is obviously not the sharpest tool in the drawer and that's very fortunate for law enforcement, very fortunate for this girl, very fortunate for her family, everybody who uh, really, really cared about her. Uh, I really don't know how often this happens. This seems like a – I have to admit, giving law enforcement all the credit in the world, that this was pretty, pretty insightful uh, of them to be able to uh, figure this all out using – you know, probably just using IP addresses. Probably what happened is that they're in this house, just like all of us, I guess, now have. We have our Wi-Fi units, and the Wi-Fi for this uh, condo is like over in this corner. And I guess they must have figured it out somehow, you know, just took a chance. Well, let's see if her account is being used, is her, whatever her username was, and they found that it was, and then they can figure out what IP address is being used, and then they can figure out is this IP address being used by anybody else. I am guessing this how they did this, and it's really, I mean, fantastic work on their part. Really, really, we just wish we would have this kind of, uh, I wish, just wish they would uh, be this insightful and curious uh, with other disappearances. But we all know this could uh, – when a guy starts talking about I'm going to make her my wife and everything, uh, we know that this was really, really probably end up going very, very bad. Now, it's already bad. It's already bad, and he deserves to go go to jail forever and all of that. And I realize a lot of people believe these people should be executed and everything. I'm not going to get into that. But when somebody starts talking about that, We know that uh, probably the odds of this, you know, very could be very well could be a J.C. Dugard situation, Elizabeth Smart, where uh, these girls are eventually found, you know, years later, months later, and they're alive. But we also know it seems that the odds say it's much more likely that these are girls are going to end up dead because uh, these guys that do this. Uh, when they start talking about making her my wife and I'm going to hide her and everything, these uh, people are dangerous. So I, I want to give uh, the police both in Ohio and here in Florida all the credit in the world uh, for figuring uh, this out. 
I guess what's also clear here, though, is that, of course, underage people cannot, of course, agree to sex. They, you know, any sex that an adult is going to have with someone who's underage is rape. They cannot, um, you know, they don't have the ability to agree to this. This is the uh, the understanding that we have in the United States regarding something they cannot consent they have no there's even if they say they want to the law says these people cannot consent so even if this girl was saying well i really wanted to go with him and i really wanted to do with this with him that does not hold up in court that's not going to protect him it's not going to protect him um so even if we were to think that she went willingly. It doesn't seem to me that she was abducted. It's not like she was walking down the street. This guy came along and snatched her up, just grabbed her through in the vehicle. This is something where they were communicating online, probably over world of Warcraft, most likely. And this was arranged, but it does show that we have to be maybe more open to the idea that's a lot of times when these boys and girls go missing, that they're not necessarily abducted. They can't consent. They can't agree to go. But they're not abducted. They're not forcibly taken. Um, we just – I think we really have to remember it. So we might think about that, for example, like with the disappearance of Leon Hosberg. That's a disappearance. Uh, of course, her father was the guest from a couple years ago that happened in New York City. And if we're to believe that some adult was responsible, that is a disappearance that Unfound is covered where I don't think she was abducted. I think that she chose to go with somebody not totally understanding the ramifications and everything of that. So, um, but either way, uh, it's very lucky that this probably once she is gone, this is about the best outcome it could be. I'm going to guess, of course, that um, she will look back at this. Maybe she's not at this point totally understanding totally the, all the ramifications and everything. I'm hoping that she grows up to be a, a smart young woman who looks back at this and realizes how lucky she was and um, realizes that this could really have gone uh, a very, very bad direction. She may not appreciate that now, but I'm hoping she gets to the point she becomes mature enough to realize this. Um, Charlotte says, that has happened before where a dead body was found dead in a freezer. Okay, sure. I remember there was that, um, you know, what that comes to mind, Charlotte, is I forget the woman's name, but I don't know if she was on drugs. Was she having some sort of mental episode? She was in a... Was she in a hotel or something? And she locked herself in a, in like, not like in a, a little freezer, but like in a huge freezer they like use at restaurants or something. And she died inside that freezer. I'm sure somebody's going to look that name up. And they had video of her walking around. That's what I think of when I think of people in freezers. Couple murder and buried parents in the UK wrote to family pretending to, okay. Um, I just, yeah, family members visiting from out of town had found a body inside a chest freezer. Yeah, that's just uh, regarding the former, the previous story. Yeah, that's what I read, Miranda. Once again, 
Hard to understand. There are people living in the house, but then people from out of town came in and found her in the freezer. I don't know. Yeah, I, that's that's the story I just read, Miranda. Um, so I don't think they were squatters. Okay, Rockford, one would think that a gamer would be much more tech savvy than to leave such a trail. Good thing he wasn't, of course. Yeah, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Some people are sick, Miranda says. Charlotte, I live in Lima, Ohio, west of Marion County and never heard of it. Uh, Marion County, uh, Charlotte, Marion County here in Florida. I'm not sure what county she went missing from in Ohio, but there is a Marion County here in Florida, and that's the Marion County that they mean. Not not the one up there. Marion County, which is that direction for me. Uh, lucky escape for this girl. I agree, Ed. Charlotte, yes, that was in Chicago. Kanika Jenkins, yeah, sure. That's that's I think what I'm thinking of. That um, I, I don't think that I ever did talk about that on a live show. That in fact that might have even happened before Unfound came to be. Uh, that does seem like the kind of uh, maybe I did talk about it. I don't I don't remember. I'm not sure what. Uh, not sure what. Uh, maybe you can look that up. One of you, Kanika. Yeah, Kanika Jenkins on a hotel in Rosemont, Illinois. What year was that 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 happened? I'm just wondering, was that before or after Unfound got started? Because it seems to me that would be kind of story that I would have talked about during a live show, but maybe I didn't. Don't know. So that's that story. We have a happy ending there. Uh, I'm hoping that this young woman, this girl who's going to become a young woman, uh you know, can deal with this physically, emotionally, mentally, and uh, really, really have a great life uh, after this, you know, th- this, tr- whether she knows it or not, this trauma that she has experienced. Uh, Rockford says 2017, Tree says 2017. So the live show didn't get started until late 2017. So I'm guessing that did happen before the live show ever started. So I'm guessing I never have spoken about Kanika Jenkins uh, situation. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should take a look at that. Of course it was decided that there was no foul play or anything, but um, maybe I will just see. Let's see. Let's see what kind of time I have. And if I really want to uh, take a look at that being that that happened um, before the live show ever got started. Thank you, uh, Shereen Rockford, for passing along that you know information and looking up Kanika. Thank you. Sure, there have been shows about those types of cases on Discovery ID. Yeah, that's what they're looking. They, they uh, these producers love stories like that, Charlotte. These uh, very odd, you know, bodies in freezers and things like that. Yeah. And how do do those things happen? Of course, when I think of that, I think of like The Sopranos. You know, they always hung out at that butcher shop and for some reason that always comes to mind. Uh, moving on, uh, plane issues. Uh, we had this crash. I don't know if you saw it, but there's actually a video of a an A350, which is a fairly large passenger plane. It was landing at the Haneda Airport in Japan. And what had happened was a smaller plane had pulled onto the runway and the bigger plane didn't see it. And so the big plane essentially just about landed on the smaller plane. 
killing everybody on the smaller plane except for one person. And fortunately, everybody on the big plane, I mean, there was like 200 people or somebody, something, everybody lived in this other plane, even though uh, when skidding off the runway, it was on fire. And eventually the plane just burnt to nothing. But luckily everybody got out. There were a few injuries during the escape, but nobody got killed on the bigger jet. Unfortunately, several people got killed on the smaller plane. Uh, and there was one person who survived. And it it seems like the guy got away somewhat unscathed because he was able to talk to authorities right after it. So, it's I mean, how lucky is he? Unfortunately, this guy ended up being the pilot of this little plane. And it seems that he's the one who made the mistake. That his plane was not supposed to be on the runway yet. Why? Because this other plane was coming in and it happened at night. And like I said, if you Google it or do do a search for YouTube, plane crash in Japan, you're going to see it. I mean, you see this plane coming in in the distance and all of a sudden there's like a ball of fire. So, um, so we had that and that's going to end up being pilot air pretty, um, with the this plane that pulled on, it was supposed to hold. Instead, it went right on onto the runway, and the other jet landed on it. Pretty sure it's going to be pilot air, somebody not following directions. And then, of course, here in the United States, within the, the last uh, 10 days, we had this Alaskan Airlines plane where... It was, what was it, flying out of, I think, Portland, and it got up up to about 16,000 feet, and it wasn't a door that flew off. It was what they call a plug, and it's where a door would be if the plane was in a different configuration, but you look at the outside of the plane. It looks like a door. It's not. If you go into the inside of the plane, you will not even see that there's even a cutout for the door because there's paneling covering it up. But if the plane was in a different seating configuration, this door would be for an, an emergency escape hatch. And so you, you need to remember, like, if you're at the airport and looking at jets, they're sitting there. You might see doors on the outside of the plane that if you go inside the plane, there's nothing there. Well, that's what this was. Well, what happened was that this plane took off, gets up to 16,000 feet, and this plug that looks like a door just totally went off the plane. And they actually, they ended up finding the door. And so now Boeing uh, is now getting a lot, a lot, a lot of scrutiny along with this uh, company called Spirit, not Spirit Airlines, but it's Spirit Aviation or something that does work for them. And I think what they're finding out is that these, uh, after these jets are made, they get sent to this company and that they install like the Wi-Fi units on these jets. And one of the things they have to do to install this, these systems is do something with that plug door. What seems like this company is putting those plugs back in and they're not putting these plugs, these quote unquote doors back in correctly. And in fact, uh, they're forgetting some bolts uh, that are very, very important to keeping that in place. That's what it looks like is happening. Now, of course, this is a big deal because um, 
you know, Boeing has had its problems over the last uh, few years. I even talked about a few years ago, we had the, these two plane crashes of these Boeing 737 MAX 8s where it turns out that Boeing had added some new electronic system to these jet, these new jets, but there was nothing in the, the training manual about it. And that's why a couple of these jets crashed. I mean, it's horrible. A lot of people got killed. Horrible. That and some other things that have gone on at Boeing, and now there's this. And But what's interesting about this is that, um, you know, my assertion, a lot about this, a lot of about disappearances can be learned from air crash investigations. You know that I've talked about this before, that I see this connection between, you know, because I've, uh, I've all, uh, you know, a th- over 30 year interest in plane crashes and I can see it now that I, my life is disappearances, but I still read a lot about plane crashes. You see those comparisons. And of course, what they do with plane crashes that we don't do with disappearances is that when these things happen, the NTSB comes in and figures out, well, why did this happen? Why did that plane land on that other plane? Why did this plug fly off this jet? Why did, uh, going back to the miracle on the Hudson, why did those the jets conk out? Well, now we know because birds went into them, but how was it that Sully was able to land that plane in the river and nobody get killed? They, they examine all these things so we can learn from these things. And that's really what has made flying, at least in the United States, so safe. You have to remember, us older people remember this. There is a time not so long ago in the United States, if we just go back to like the 1990s, where a couple passenger planes would crash and multiple people would get killed every year. Whereas we have not had a major commercial jet crash in the United States for years and years and years. It is the safest time to fly in the United States ever. Why? Because we study these things and we find out why these things happen. What mistakes are being made? Our pilots need to be retrained. Do the jets need to be redesigned? Why, why do these parts break? What this, that, better air traffic control, all sorts of things. But when it comes to disappearances and dare I say a a lot of crimes and the investigation of them, it seems like every time one happens, it's like the first time. Imagine if we did that with plane crashes. Every time one happens, it would be like investigating a plane crash for the same time, for, for the first time. Do you think safety and air travel would ever improve? Of course not. That's what goes on with disappearances. You know, we study these plane crashes that no studies have ever done to figure out why disappearances last as long as they do. Um, So let's see what everybody is saying here. Um, Uh, there have been shows about this type with bodies and freezers. Uh, Kanika was drunk and I wouldn't discuss it. There's now a lawsuit. Oh, there's a lawsuit. Is there? Sheree, thank you for letting me know. Uh, the Japan plane, plane crash was on our news channels. Yeah, Hazel. I'm sure it would be, being that you're lo- you're close to Japan up down there. I have been in and out of the show. Sorry, all the calling. 
on his way home. Tim calling. That's fine. Carry on his way home in the snow. Speaking of planes, did you see the story of the classic plane stolen in Torrance, California? They found burned up in nearby Long Beach. Waiting for, I did see that. I saw the headline, Rockford, but that's about it. I'm certainly going to have to find out what went on there. Shreya, just watched the Society in the Snow about the Uruguay plane crash in the Andes. It's told from the survivor's perspective. That's the one where they ended up eating uh, their friends, right, Cherie? Isn't that what happened? They all they became cannibals to survive. That's what happened, right? My sister works for Spirit Aero. Oh, Lisa, your sister. So there you go. Uh, Lisa's sister works for Spirit Aerosystems, which is this company that that works on these planes that happen to have worked on this plane where this plug uh, blew out. This door-shaped plug blew out. Well, um, Lisa, if you have any inside info that your sister can pass along to you that's not making it into the news... Uh, please pass it along to me. I'd love to hear what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Hazel, that sounds interesting. Sherry, with, uh, Sherry will take a look at that. Hazel, get the tissues out. It's really good. Oh, dear, I'm a blubber. Hazel, yeah, okay. But am I right about that, Sherry? That's the one where, um, well, there you go, Hazel. Now you know how they eat. Sorry, did I ruin it? I'm sorry if I ruined it for everybody. I watched a lot of Mayday and air crash investigation shows. Me too, Hazel. I'm hoping I didn't ruin that for everybody, Sheree. Now that I'm thinking about it. Oops. Uh, I just, uh, maybe I just think that so many people know about that. I, I realize that now there's a new show, but I mean, I can remember reading about that like at high school or something, but maybe not. My sister's a lawyer, so she won't tell me anything. She's a lawyer, but she works for Spirit Aerosystems, Lisa. Okay. All right. All right, I don't think I'm going to have time to get to the internet uh, profit, uh, those disappearances. And, um, uh, yeah, I'm not going to get to a couple things uh, tonight because now I have to go to Friday's episode. And I'm telling you right now that Friday's episode is going to be a little different. Um. We certainly will be featuring the disappearance of Irma Merkichian. Uh, that's M-K-R-T-C-H-Y-A-N. That's Armenian, if you're wondering. And we're going back to Las Vegas for what? The sixth or seventh time now. She went missing from Las Vegas on January 19th. So we're quick, quickly coming up on the 10-year anniversary. And her brother, David, D-A-V-I-T, is the guest. But in interviewing uh, David, I'm I'm going to have to admit that the interview um, went off the rails a little. Not that he got mad at me or anything else, but uh, even though I sent him an outline and everything else, um, the interview quickly kind of went way off script and everything else. And David just really wanted to use my talk with him as a way to complain about Las Vegas Metro. And so what it ended up being, our discussion really ended up being, now you should know, in my opinion, all of you can decide for yourselves, there's not a lot of mystery as to what happened to Irma. Now, her is, is this a disappearance on the Charlie Project is on name, as you can look it up. M-K-R-T-C-H-Y-A-N is her last name. 
but as I started to see how this was happening with him, I, I figured out, you know what? This is maybe a good time to do this kind of interview. In that, uh, although we do talk about some of the facts of her disappearance and everything, it's more about me teaching David about what goes on in disappearances, because even though he's been living with this and he's trying to figure this out, it's amazing how 10 years into this kind of has still a lot of misconceptions and everything. And so really what you're going to get to hear on Friday is really a conversation. And I did get permission to record it. He knows that it's going to play on Friday. I got his permission. He says, as long as you, play the all of the part where I complain about all the trouble that I have with Metro, you can play it. So I have his permission to do this. You know, I don't record anybody without any permission. But you're going to hear more of what goes maybe on behind the scenes when I talk to some of the guests, um, very frankly, about their situations, about their disappearances, about um about what goes on with the police and things really as you know for the disappear all the other episodes of unfound we stick to the facts we talk a little about their interaction with police but really we talk about the person we talk about any issues we talk about the circumstance we talk about the investigation you know how we do it this is going to be a little bit more mixture of a little bit of Irma's disappearance but also a lot of what you might hear from me presenting to criminal justice majors, but the difference is going to be, I'm actually going to be interacting with a family member who really need, really needed me to tell them some things. So it's going to be, that's uh, what this Friday is going to be uh, a little bit different and uh, I, I have to admit that when it started going in that direction, I wasn't too surprised because the vid. Well, uh, you'll probably get to know him uh, very well. Uh, I have nothing necessarily bad to say about him, but you also hear maybe, you know, what you're going to hear is as something that I've talked about that a lot of these people because they are so focused on their particular disappearance and the bad things that happen, the police don't call them back and everything else. They think that that only happens to them. And this is kind of the situation that David does. I don't understand why they don't call me back. And I'm like, that happens to most people. And so you're going to hear me kind of giving him the lowdown on really what's going on in disappearance. So we're having this conversation back and forth. So I'm hoping you're going to find it interesting, and we can't lose uh, the, the focus on that his sister is missing. You're going to hear some of the facts, but like I said, it's fairly clear what happened. Um, so this is also probably why I didn't mind um, too much doing this, because this is not a disappearance where you have to look at all these facts to really try to figure out what happened. It's not really one of those. So that is going to be this Friday. Irma, Irma McKitchian went missing in Las Vegas, January 19th, 2014. Her brother will be the guest, and I'll be working on that uh, tomorrow. Uh, Shree says, I didn't ruin that show. That's good. 
I'm actually not going uh, to watch now because I literally get so sad. Yeah, Hazel, too bad for me. I try to protect myself from crying. Hazel is leaving from New, New Zealand. Understand completely, Hazel. It's not for anybody. Lisa, great show. Thank you. I'm multitasking, watching the Eagles versus Bucks. Good night, everyone. Uh, Charlie's getting out, so I'm getting out, too. We come to the end of the show. Remember, Thursday evening, me and Dr. Telesco will talk about the disappearance of Snea Phillips, who went missing on 9-11-2001 in New York City. I hope all of you will tune in, chat, ask questions, etc. Thank you so much. Thank you, for everybody, for making time on this Monday night. Please uh, support this show through Patreon, PayPal, or YouTube. And that's all I got for tonight. Uh, Shri, thank you for moderating. I guess I'll be interviewing you maybe this weekend or surely this weekend. And Charlie, say hi to the kids for me. Good night. <laughs>